what we're going to do is we're going to read the first um, 14 verses of Colossians 1, even though we're just going to introduce ourselves to Colossians this morning, and then over the weeks and a few months, Lord willing, um, we're going to be in this book together. Okay, so let's hear the word of the Lord Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of of sins. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Would, would you just bow with me as we pray and seek God's help? Well, Father, we love what we sang today because it's all true. And we are humbled as we think about your grace and your mercy that is poured out on us for day by day for reasons that we don't deserve but we are grateful for. We are mindful of your beauty of, and your majesty and the honor of your name, which we pray for right now, and especially as we begin this book and just find ourselves and find myself so frail, incompetent to do what must be done if you don't come to me and help me and come to all of us so that we can listen, so that we can consider, so that we might believe and obey. And so God, we pray for that grace this Sunday and all the Sundays that you give us until this book is done. And we are mindful that's not easily said. We don't know what is coming in the weeks and months ahead. But we are so grateful that our king does. And that our king, King Jesus, rules over all things. Jesus, you are a precious, mighty, and wonderful king. And so it is to your face that we gaze and in your name that we pray. So when we think about this book, just a couple of things before we actually get into my opening remarks. Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, but he's also writing to the church in Cohasset. And he's writing for essentially one specific reason, so that the readers can get everything right about Jesus and his gospel. Because Paul is convinced, and we are going to learn that if we get everything right about Jesus and his gospel... 
And only Jesus and his gospel can do this. If we get everything right about Jesus and his gospel, then we will get everything right about everything else. And we have to understand that. Get the gospel right, get Christ right, then we will get everything right about everything else in our lives. So it is that bent that we will take to now as we begin now. Just some opening comments. I found out this week that William Randolph Hearst, he... He was a famous newspaper owner. He died in, in uh, 1951. He was the reason why the movie um, Citizen Kane, uh, starring Orson Welles, about the, the journalist there. He, this man transformed uh, journalism, and, and his career was the model for that film, Citizen Kane. He was terrifically wealthy, um, really wealthy. And over the years, he spent a fortune, his fortune, uh, collecting great works of art. And so one day he was reading in an art magazine about some valuable works of art, and he began to really, really want those valuable works of art. So he called his agent, because guys like that have agents. I don't have an agent. Maybe you don't. Maybe some of you have an agent. Who knows? And so he called his agent and put the agent on the hunt. And so quite a few months had gone by. He hadn't heard from his agent. Finally, the agent called him, and he, and he said that he found those rare pieces of art that that um, Hearst wanted, and he also told him that it was absolutely impossible for him to buy those works of art. So people like Hearst, wealthy people, they tend to not take no you know, for an answer, and he said, well, why can't I buy those things? And so the agent told him was the reason, or the reason why he couldn't buy those great works of art, because in Hearst's own warehouse, he actually had those great works of art, and he had simply forgotten about those great works of art, and now he was reminded. Now, many Christians are like Mr. Hurst in this way. They are in a desperate search for and wanting to possess that which they already have. And the Christians Paul are writing to in Colossae, they fall under this category. Someone had gotten to them, and we'll learn about this more and more as time goes on. Someone had gotten to them and influenced them and tried to teach them that they needed to look for more of God than they already have in Jesus Christ. And Paul is urging them not to fall for this. Now, why is Paul saying that? Is he saying this because he doesn't want them to have more of God? Of course not. Paul wants them to have more of God. But Paul knows that Christ is the only, if you would, treasure house where all of God's treasure for all of God's people lie. And the gospel of Christ, which means the person of Christ, is that treasure. Now, in other words, what had taken place in the Colossian Christians and what has taken place in us if we're a Christian this morning, once we said yes to Christ, what has taken place is certainly not, not much. And it, it is certainly not something given, you know, only to kind of satisfy our religious itch, you know, the God gene or the appeased conscience. And when we become a Christian, it is not simply just a you know, get-out-of-jail-free card. And when we become a Christian, it is something that does not diminish in value over time so that as time goes by, we have feelings that there's something more needed than the gospel and there's something more needed to, to have a better standing with God and there's something more needed to have a life that counts. And so we, we want God and we want Christ, but maybe there's something more. And Paul in this letter says no. Paul's prepared to say that what has happened to every believer 
And so the believers, again, in Colossae and the believers in Cohasset is amazing, is absolutely full, and it is absolutely complete, and it doesn't need any supplement, and it doesn't need anything to complement it. So if you're honest, maybe you can identify from this. Having lost sight of all these things, and, and sometimes we all do, having lost sight of just who Jesus is and what he has done, the, the subtle devalue of Jesus and the demotion of Jesus' as authority, as glory begins to take place. And so people stop looking to Jesus as the only sufficient and supreme one. Therefore, they begin to see him as one who is, un, you know, he can't meet all my needs. And so the basic principles of this world, Paul refers to in chapter 2, which we'll learn more about, those basic principles begin to appear more and more and larger and larger than what they really are. And people go to those things to get that little something extra that they really need if they're really, really going to live a spiritual life. And that somehow the truth of Christ and what took place when they were converted is shorted them and hasn't changed them and it wasn't enough to live a full, abundant life. So, if you want to just put it really plain, the bad people were coming to Colossae and saying this, if you really, really want to live in God's fullness, and if you really, really want to have the good life, and if you really, really want to have a full spiritual life, then Christ and his gospel was not going to be enough. And Paul says, please, please see Christ as he is. See that all of God's treasures are hidden in Christ, that only in Christ and only in his gospel is all of God's fullness. So when we hear things of like Jesus is Lord, like we heard in these testimonies, by the way, they're fantastic. When we hear those testimonies, when we read the Bible, he's the master and he's the commander of the world, the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth. He's the central figure of all human history. T.S. Eliot said about Jesus, he's the still point of an ever-turning world. Paul is trying to teach us Jesus is enough. He has supremacy in all things. He is to be the object of our faith, our big desire, only desire. And listen carefully. The dissatisfactions that we may hold with us right now will only be diminished as we gaze on Jesus Christ and as we discover what it means to be in Christ. Having him work in us what is pleasing to him instead of us wanting to please us with a touch or two of Jesus. And you'll notice that when I read those statements, and we'll look at a few more, the statements that Paul gives about God and the gospel and Jesus Christ, they're categorical, they're emphatic, they're, they're universal statements. He's not asking after he writes that, do you agree with me? He just lays them out. That's why Paul's always in trouble. Now, if you have a Bible and your Bible's open, just look at verse 10, these kind of all-inclusive statements. He prays that we may please God in everything, in all things. Think about that, that everything we do, first order, it must please God. Every work that we do to bear fruit for God, that's verse 10 of chapter 1, verse 11. Strengthen them, this is part of his prayer, with all power according to his glorious might. Who has all power? Now think of that word all. Who has all power? Jesus Christ, verse 16, all things were created by Christ and all things were created for Christ. You get that all again? Everything created, Christ, everything for Christ. Verse 17, all things hold together because of who? Because of Christ, 
Christ has supremacy, verse 18, over all things. In other words, every decision that, that makes us us must be a Christ decision because Christ has supremacy over all things. And finally, verse 19, we could do this more, but we need to go on. All of God's fullness is in Christ. You get that word, all, all, all. Who's got all power? Christ. Who made everything? Christ. Who is everything made for? Christ. Who is everything? Christ. And so the muddle-headedness of the church in Colossae was due in part that these bad people, they come in there with a bad message, with personal interest, because every false teacher always has a personal interest. That's what the New Testament teaches us. And so they attach themselves to the Christians there, and the church now needs help. They needed an authorized, definitive word from God to set them right. And verse 1, that's who Paul is, an apostle of Christ by the will of God. And Paul gives them the authorized word from God. This is not Paul's opinion, but this is divine truth. So in our context, we have no right to, to ignore this, certainly not demote this, but we have the privilege to let this kind of thinking transform our lives. This is God's thought on, this, on Jesus. This is God's thought to the Colossian church through the pen of a mere man. And this is my big prayer for this congregation as we work through Colossians. My prayer for this congregation is essentially this, that more and more of us in the way that we think and the way that we act and the way that we reason. So in other words, we're thinking and acting and reasoning, reasoning biblically, which is always rationally. So that we're not thinking culturally. We're not kind of thinking you know, pseudo-religiously just to appease conscience and try to you know, feel right between us and God. And we're not thinking selfishly. But we're thinking biblically, reasonably, and just acting and according to the all statements that we just kind of worked through about Jesus. Because after all, Jesus is the only one in this room that can have the final word on everything. Jesus. So we have some headings we're going to work through. If you have a worship folder, you can turn to the back of that. The first heading is the place in the people. The place in the people. So this will be important. When you think about the place, it's actually three places. There's three cities that Paul is writing to. They're, they're actually kind of in a, if you looked at them on a map, they'd be a like triangle. The, the three places at this time were under Roman jurisdiction. The, the Romans ruled them. They are Colossae. They are Laodicea. There is a place called Heropolis. You can see that in chapter 4. And again, the, the three cities are located in modern-day Turkey, just to tell you that there really was these three places. And they're about 100 miles from Ephesus, which will be important in a little bit. Now, one of the things that we'll be discovering in this letter is that in this region, the people were easily spooked. They were very, very superstitious. And they had these superstitions that, that they needed some help to take on the dark powers of evil and the dark powers of the world. If you would, they're real skittish kind of people. It'd be really hard for them to walk into a dark church at night by themselves. That, that kind of people, if you, you know what I mean. And so the Christians there were kind of being sucked into this culture more and more. And they were being convinced because other people were saying that the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection was not sufficient to disarm the dark powers of the evil world. So some people come to them and tell them that, look, this is what you need to do. You need to get involved in the worship of angels. You need to wear an angel pin and an angel cross and angel this and worship angels so that the bad powers can't get to you. And then they also said that you need to really treat your body in a harsh way. And so you need to have, we'll call it ascetic practices that deny yourself some things. And if you deny yourself some things, then at that moment you can get right with God and you'll have power from God to kind of wear off the bad evil spirits. 
and they gave a few other things which we'll learn about. Now, to help, this, uh, help us understand their line of thinking, I want you to know that under God's providence, this week I just, I just happened to be reading in the world section of the Huffington Post an article by a lady named Aline Gort. So part of what I do Monday night, Monday afternoon, you know, when I'm around at home, I like to read lots of stuff and I like to read newspapers. So I get online and I go through the newspaper. So I just happened to fall into this lady's lap, if you would. <laughs> that didn't sound right, but that's what happened. I, I read, the, read her article and the article was entitled, uh, entitled The Gateway to Hell. And what she said, that archaeologists from Italy had found Pluto's gate. Pluto's the Roman god of death. And so they, they found what the ancient world always wrote about as the gateway to hell. And the reason why they called this particular place the gateway of hell was because there was the temple of Apollos. And then there was a small cave. And the small cave had kind of like a natural stairwell that kind of went down to the ground. And out of that small cave, there was these gases that would come out. So as people or animals would be drawn to the cave because of the warmth of the cave, the gases would typically kill animals or knock people out. And so they began to call this, the ancient world called this place the gateway to hell. And so guess where the gateway to hell was? It was in this area that Paul is writing to. It was, in, it was in, actually in the city of Heropolis and Colossae. And, and Laodicea was all in about 15, 20 miles away from there. So it was this region that had the gateway to hell. And so people, pagan people, would have this kind of pagan pilgrimage. And they would go to the site. They would offer sacrifices to the gods, little g, of the underworld so that they wouldn't die. And so these archaeologists from the University of Salento, they find the cave. They find the temple. They find all this. They have other ancient documents that kind of lead them here. And they find all kinds of evidence that show that this cave had like high levels of carbon dioxide gases that came out of it. And that's why people would pass out. And that's why animals were dead. Now, I told you all that not to say anything but this. When we learn about the place, then we can learn about the people, right? That's true here. There's things about this place that we need to learn. And once we learn about the place... Then we'll learn more and more about the people because the place affects the people. And that's what was happening here. Let me just kind of wrap this up. So you have a small city, one out of three. The Colossian city was, was not living in its heyday. It kind of was on the back end of being popular. There was an earthquake in 60 AD that damaged that region and, and Colossae paid the largest price. But this region had these kind of hot spring mineral baths because of the, you know, the gases. And they had these steaming crack, uh, caverns. And what happened is that people that were sick and people that were aging, they, they went to this place because of the healing powers, you know, kind of like the fountain of youth or bringing back, you know, a good soak in the bath will make me feel better and then I'll be able to live on and on and on. So you're thinking, people, what happens? Your business is set up, right? Come into this place and get a good bath and you'll be healed. And that happens. And then religious types come because they're always there because of this. And they're like, yeah, you can get the bath and I can say a few prayers and I can teach you a few things. And then the dark powers of the underworld, death, will not come and touch you. And so you had desperate people, and this is just so rotten, but it's so true. You had desperate people seeking relief. You had religious people coming to the city seeking to appease conscience. And you had bad people for bad mo uh, motives under the religious name going in there to make a buck and to say thing, wrong things about God and discourage and disillusion others. Now, I want to ask you a question. Has anything changed in our world? 
I mean, what is so different about their context and our context? I mean, we probably don't have any caves with carbon dioxide, you know, spraying out. Not that we know of, right? But don't we have all kinds of people, however they get here, saying, you, you want fullness? You want spiritual power like you've never had? You want command over the dark forces of evil? Then you do X and you do Y and you do Z. And sometimes X and Y and Z cost a little money, right? Or if you want all that knowledge about your future, then just call 1-800-TELL-ME-THE-FUTURE and there'll be a nice lady or a nice man on the phone and they'll tell you all about your future as long as you pay them what they need and then they'll send you postcards telling you that you need more information and it never ends. So what's, be, what's happening? Well, the subversive power of the cross of Jesus Christ is being totally ignored and demoted. And so what you have in Colossae is just a royal mess. So you have people thinking that they're under a curse. And, and worse, you have people going around thinking that they can actually pass out a curse. And you have people saying, you need a special diet, and you need special prayers, and you need special rituals if you're going to get right with God. Or, and this is far worse than all those, or you have people going around saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus died for my sins, but will you please get to the good stuff? I mean, I want the deep things of God. I mean, I got it already that Jesus died for my sins, uh, 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 but give me the good stuff. Give me the deep stuff. You, you tell me, what is a deeper thought than this, that God would become man and die for our sins? You, you got a better one than that? Because I do not have a better one than that. And the Colossian church needed to learn that. Now that's the place and that's the people. Second, the man and the mission. Now when you think about the man and the mission, you're probably thinking I'm talking about Paul. Well, kind of, but I'm not really talking about Paul. There's another guy that's really important and his name is Epaphras. You can see his name in verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7. Now, according to chapter 1 and verse 4 and chapter 2, 1... It's probably certain that Paul never met any of these Christians in the church, except one person, and that one person is Epaphras. And Epaphras was the, the, the human agency that was part of God's plan to originate these churches. He was the planner, if you would, of these three churches. Now, I want you to listen to your Bible. I'm going to read from Acts 19, and I'm going to show you how this came about. And it's absolutely simple, brilliant, all God. Acts 19, around verse 8. Paul is in Ephesus, okay? Ephesus is about 100 miles from Colossae. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. That's the Christian way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Verse 10, listen carefully. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, which includes the city of Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis, all who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, you get that? So this is what happened. Paul had these discussions, which happened between 1 and 4 in the afternoon in Ephesus. They had kind of like a siesta from 1 to 4. Everything kind of shut down. Paul was wise. Everything shut down. So he set up shop. He sets up shop for two years. He's teaching and preaching the full counsel of God. That discussion led to conversions, as it always will, and conversions led to people doing missions. 
so that Luke wrote truthfully that all the Jews and all the Greeks in the province of Asia, which is over 250,000 people, heard the word of the Lord. Not that they were converted, but everybody heard the gospel. Either they heard it by Paul's mouth, or they heard it by people who heard Paul and then did what Christians do. They gossiped the gospel. And then, again, in just two years, 250,000 plus people heard the word of the Lord. So what was happening? It's so simple. Paul takes a two-year commitment to do God's revealed will. He preaches the gospel. He preaches the word of the Lord. People listen. People believe. And in believing always comes obeying. And Paul continues to preach the gospel. He gave them the full counsel of God. And part of the full counsel of God is that Christians do not keep such good news to themselves. In their normal conversations, in normal life, they tell everybody what Jesus has done for them. So Paul goes to Ephesus. Ephesus has never heard the gospel until Paul gets there. Paul gets the gospel to there. He goes to the synagogue, as was his custom. They throw him out, as was their custom. He's not discouraged. He's on mission. He rents a college hall, essentially. He preaches the word. And guess who is probably there? (laughs) Epaphras. Epaphras is there. Either he's there listening or by word of mouth, by somebody there listening, Epaphras hears the gospel, and he hears the full counsel of God. He gets it, if you would, and so he does it. If I was taking notes, that's what I'd write down. He gets it, he gets the gospel, and so he does it. And the immediate result, or at least one of the immediate results of Paul's doing God's will, telling everybody about Christ, that's what Paul was doing, nothing more, nothing less. He was teaching Christ. He was not giving commentaries on public life. He wasn't giving commentary on Roman government. He was just preaching Christ. Three churches were planted by one man after he heard the one gospel and responded. Colossae, Laodicea, and Heropolis. It's pretty plain. It's pretty simple. It relies on God, but it's a powerful, powerful principle that we need to learn as a congregation. And the principle is this. This You want multiplication? You want expansion? This is how it happens. God, God blesses. And then by God's grace, he changes. And by God's grace, people go out and say what God has done by God's grace. When is West Cohasset Chapel most evangelistic? When we are in here? No. We are evangelistic when we're in here, but we are most evangelistic when we go out into our communities and we go out into the world with the message of Jesus Christ. That's what happened here. That's why they didn't need like special conferences and special strategies just to do God's revealed will. I'm a Christian now. I have the big E gift of evangelists. No doubt Epaphras had that gift. So I'm going to do what evangelists do. I'm going to go and share the gospel. And once the gospel is shared, churches will be established. Can it be that easy? It was for Colossae. It was for Laodicea. It was for Heropolis. If Paul can do that in two years in the province of Asia, surely we can do that in the city, or the county, excuse me, of Cohasset. Because once people hear the truth, the Bible is so clear, lives are transformed. And once lives are transformed, then we offer to the world the overspill of an abundant heart. Right? Isn't that what happens? We listen, we received, God is glorified, we obey, we go out. We go out and tell people the good news of what Christ has done for us. And that's exactly what happens here. And this man, this one man, Epaphras, He goes into this region and he plants three churches. It just says an aside, so teachers 
And if you've ever preached before, you never know who's in your audience, do you? I mean, you never know who you're talking to right now. I mean, what if it was like a real bad day for Paul when he was preaching? You know, we have our bad days and he was just like dry air. What if that was the day when God came down and took Epaphras and shook him for all the right reasons and changed him and made him a Christian? What if that was the day when it happened? And, and teachers and preachers, you know, we might come out of this context just like sweating and, and shaking. You know, it's like, did they hear me? You know, did they really hear me? Was anybody listening? Our, our teachers, you might have been half the class. Timmy, sit down. Timmy, do not eat the marker. Sally, please do not try and eat Timmy. And that's like half the class, right? Sally, your mother is not the most obnoxious woman in the world. Timmy was wrong when he said that. Sally, I'm your mother. I should know, right? Okay, when all that was happening, maybe the Spirit of God comes on that child. And at that moment, the child's destiny is set and secure. When I was in my class today, I became a follower of Jesus Christ when I was seven. And when I was nine years old, I was rolling around the house telling my mom I was going to be a preacher. Nine years old. little creep, right? That's what she probably thought. Can't even make your bed and fold your clothes and you want to be a preacher. Okay, you know, whoa. There, there's a lady named Ann Cousins. She lived in the 19th century and she was writing a hymn for her town. The town was Ann, Annworth, or Annworth, excuse me. And, one, and it's 39 verses, by the way, she wrote. She must have really loved the place. One of the verses says this. If one souls from Annworth meet me at God's right hand, my heaven will be two heavens in Emmanuel's land. And what she was saying, it was she could be part of just taking one soul to heaven. And when she gets to heaven, her heaven will be like two heavens because she was part of God's plan in that person's life. That's what, that's what you want to think. If, if we get to heaven and one person from Cohasset, Rapids, River, Deer River, Coleraine, wherever it might be, one person meets me at God's right hand and I had some small part to play with it, my heaven will be two heavens in Emmanuel's land. So we have the place and the people. We have the man and the mission. And finally, we have the trip and the truth. Everybody likes trips. We all like trips. Well, I want you to know this. Epaphras now has some questions that he can't answer on his own. And he knows that Paul is the guy that he can go to because Paul's an apostle. Paul is the authorized man of God. He knows that he can go to Paul and get the answers that he needs to protect the church from the bad people. Well, guess what? Paul is 1,100 miles away. Let's just think about Epaphras and Paul just for a minute. Number one, it says a whole lot about a man, doesn't it, who cares so deeply for the churches that he takes an 1,100-mile trip in the first century? Question. Epaphras is a shepherd of the church. He cares for the church. How does he care for them? Answer, in part, by taking an 1,100-mile trip by land and by sea, no easy task in the ancient world, to get to the source of truth, who's right now in a Roman prison, so that he can defend the churches back in Colossae from lies. That's how you love a church. That is how you pastor a church. Get to the truth and give it to the people. Don't miss this. This is pastoral care in its largest measure. I want you to know the truth. Our elders want us to know the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth as it is in Jesus because only Jesus is truth. So the trip says a whole lot about the man. 
I was thinking through this this morning, and this is what I would say Epaphras and Paul and God, well, I'll say Epaphras and Paul would say. If the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot meet our needs on this earth, nothing else will. If the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot meet our needs, nothing on this earth will. I think that's what Paul is telling Epaphras to tell the churches. They need to get everything right about Jesus. They need to get everything right about his gospel. Get everything right about him. Get everything right about the gospel. They'll get everything right about everything else. Second thing, it says a whole lot about the Apostle Paul, the other man, because he is suffering greatly because of the truth as it is in Jesus. But how does Paul suffer? Well, he suffers not with inaction. I mean, most of us would be honest. When we have suffering come our way, most of us, if you're like me, we want to lock ourselves in the room, total inaction. I just want to wait till it all passes over me. What does Paul do? Paul is writing letters two churches to get the truth out about Jesus. And Paul is receiving visitors in a horrible Roman prison so that he can get the truth out about Jesus. What does Paul know that we need to know? Well, Paul knows that even in Paul's sufferings, Jesus is still the master and supreme one over all things. So there must be loving purposes behind this difficult circumstances that maybe I can't see just yet, that my master will take all this horribleness and make it all good. That's the trip now to the truth. Finally the truth, right? Now, I've been telling you that there's a problem in the church. And I told you that Epaphras goes to Paul to get the problem fixed. Is there a principle there? Yeah, there's a big principle there. I mean, it might be too simple for you. It wasn't to me. Okay, so he has a problem. Usually when we have problems, we pray, right? We pray. Paul tells us that Epaphras wrestled in prayer. This is chapter 4. He wrestles in prayer for the church that may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Okay, so he doesn't stop there, no. He wants to know the truth. So he takes a long trip because Epaphras is convinced that prayer is not enough. Prayer is crucial, absolutely. It absolutely is crucial, absolutely necessary. But is it final? Listen carefully. Epaphras leaves us a pattern of what to do when problems come. Not only do we pray, not only do we pray, God, show me the way, but we go to God's word. That's essentially what Epaphras is doing. He takes an 1,100-mile trip because there was no New Testament. The Old Testament was in scarce supply. He takes an 1,100-mile trip to get to the man of truth, Paul in a prison so that he can go back and protect the church. Now, now if you're listening with me, the, the big question is, do you and I do that? When we have a problem, we have an issue, a dilemma, when we have theological problems, we have a life choice to make, future plans, whatever, do you pray? Perfect. But then do you go to God's word for the answer? Or do you just pray and nothing more? When you pray, God, show me the way, do you say amen and then run to your Bible? Or do you just pray and are convinced that you'll get it right, that you'll sense or feel or whatever, the voice of God, the plan of God, and that will always be right and will always direct you? Because loved ones, Epaphras does not do that. He doesn't do that. He prays and then goes to the source to seek the answers he needs for the problems before him and the problems before the church so that he can get it right. Now, again, that might be too easy. It might be my small-mindedness kind of just blaring out at you, but I, I don't think it is. 
I don't think it is. There's a lesson for us here. There's a lesson for us, especially as time goes on and we try to plan for the future that may or may not come. Pray, 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 but open your Bible and think it out. Think it out. And that's it. A little bit about the place, a little bit about the man, a little bit about his trip. And so, all spared and Lord willing, next, next week we'll come to more and more of the verses and begin to expound them as we should. Let's bow together and let's prepare ourselves now as we receive from the Lord's table. Just a brief prayer and if our elders could come forward now. Our God and Father, we love you and we thank you for your presence. We would ask that as we unfold this book, that you'll give us the grace to learn more and more what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be alive in Christ. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.